As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. The word of the Lord. How many of you have ever been snipe hunting? How many snipe hunters we got in the crowd here this morning? Not very many. Well, let me tell you, snipe hunting is one of the greatest experiences. If you've never been snipe hunting, or you don't know what a snipe looks like, so we've got a picture here from Wikipedia of what a snipe actually looks like. That's what you're hunting. And when you're snipe hunting, you're trying to capture it. And so how it works is everybody does this a little bit different, but I found the best snipe hunting method is a pillowcase and a flashlight. And so what you want to do is you've got to kind of get in an area where there's a lot of trees away from city lights, kind of out in the dark, because what you do is you stick the, um, what do you call it, your pillowcase, and then you get your flashlight, and you shine the flashlight through the pillowcase. And then you kind of got to make some special sounds, okay? So what we're going to do this morning is, for the next three minutes, everything we talk about and do can't leave this room, okay? <laughs> Raise your hand if you're in agreement with me for the next three minutes, okay? Most of the time, anything I say, I want you to repeat out in the streets. But we don't want to give away any secrets today, okay? So, so when you're snipe hunting, you take a pillowcase and you put, take a flashlight and you do this. Snipe, 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 snipe. Snipe, 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 snipe. Okay, let's all practice together, okay? And, 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 and tone and what do you call it when you're um, on the right note, melody, whatever you call it. I don't know what everything. Your pitch, pitch, thank you, yes. Um, so it's all got to be right, okay? So let's practice this together, okay? Snipe, 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 snipe. Some of you aren't participating. Folks, <laughs> snipe hunting only works if you call them in, okay? Don't be afraid. They're not going to come through the roof. They're, they're, they're not attracted in city lights. It's only dark. So let's just practice one more time so that when you do go with me, you're prepared, okay? Here we go. One, two, three. All right, we're, we're getting there. So what you do is you take your pillowcase, you take that out, and you get out there, and you put the flashlight in, and you call them in. And let me tell you, when you call them in, it gets wild. I mean, sometimes you'll get three or four at the same time in your pillowcase. And that pillowcase is just whipping around. And so you've got to hold that pillowcase tight, though. Now, I apologize if there's anyone in this morning with a soft stomach, but here's what you have to do. You've got to keep going like this, and you've got to hold the pillowcase tight until the snipe die in the pillowcase. So you can get really sore. So this is now, this is dangerous, okay? Now, be, watch your neighbor very carefully. But because not everybody's doing this motion all the time, we've got to kind of practice this motion, okay? So let's get your, use your right hand or left hand. Watch your neighbor, okay? So now you got somebody, you got a couple in the pillowcase. Come on. Okay, all right. That, that's what it's like. Can you imagine the fun? Who wants to meet here tonight at 9.30 and we'll head out to the Tornberg farm? It's a great time. 
One of my favorite memories ever was heading over to Minnesota, going up to a gopher game when I was in college. We took a buddy with here from Sioux Falls, and we stopped at my grandparents along the way, and we took him snipe hunting. It was a lot of fun. Because it was about 35 minutes until he returned from the grove into the house. Because if you haven't caught on yet, there actually is no snipe hunting. Okay, now remember I said, it can't leave this room. Snipe hunting is a joke, but it's a great joke to play on people. He was out there for 35 minutes with his pillowcase and flashlight just waiting. It was great. He came in just a little frustrated when he realized that he was hunting, but there was nothing to be caught. He was going through all of the motions. He had everything exactly right, but in reality, it was all a game. Most of us have probably never literally been snipe hunting, but in reality, most of us are snipe hunting on a regular basis, going through the motions, trying to find something that's not really there. And sadly, many of us are snipe hunting when it comes to religion. We're hoping to get something by going through some specific motions. This morning, God's word, Jesus, hopefully is going to refine our hearts and challenge us and say, are you snipe hunting? Or are you actually getting what God wants? Because there's a big difference. And so this morning, we're going to ask ourselves to reflect on three questions. And this next week, I'm going to ask that you reflect on these three questions to examine your own hearts. And so in Matthew chapter 9, we encounter Jesus in, in one of the stories that really summarizes what Jesus is all about. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is on the move after some teaching and healing, and he comes up and he says to a tax collector, follow me. And this causes all sorts of a ruckus because tax collectors are not well-liked. Not only are they not well-liked, they're hated. They're despised. They're on the outskirts. They're not just people who are opposed to Jews. They're actually people who the Jews think are working directly against them. On offense, you could say. The Jews look at the tax collectors and say that the tax collectors are on offense against God because they're working for the Roman Empire. So Jesus really shakes things up when he says, hey, Come along, Levi, let's go. Matthew, I'm going to take you and you're going to become named Matthew now. And brings him into the fold. And so that causes all sorts of ruckus because then what happens next? After Jesus calls Matthew, Matthew has Jesus over to his house. What happens then? Well, who does Matthew know? Only other tax collectors. Matthew doesn't hang out with religious people. So why would somebody expect there to be religious people at Matthew's house? So Jesus goes to Matthew's house for a party, and who's there? Tax collectors and other sinners or people who are irreligious. And so now what do you got? You got Jesus, the leader of the biggest religious movement at that moment in time. Jesus, who is being called the miracle man. Jesus, the one who is claiming to be the Jewish Messiah. Now Jesus is in this environment which the Jews would despise. And so it kind of gets under the religious leader's skin a little bit. They're not happy about this. And so this is great. Just catch this. I, I think this is fabulous. I believe this is intentional in the Bible. This isn't just some small little detail. It catches humanity 
at its best and at its worst. Look in Matthew 9 here of what the religious leaders do when this happens. Matthew 9, verse 11. And when the Pharisees, which who are the religious leaders, saw this, they said to his disciples. Who do the Pharisees speak to? His disciples. Now, isn't this classic church life? You're grumbling and you're unhappy. Who do you talk to? Not the one who can do anything about it, but somebody else. Is this not humanity? It happens all of the time, right? A little passive-aggressive approach. I'm going to bring it up. I'm going to bring it up over here to the disciples. The religious leaders do this all of the time. They're caught grumbling, but they never grumble directly to Jesus. They grumble to themselves, or they grumble to each other, or they grumble to the disciples, but never to Jesus. Why? Because they know Jesus is the one who has authority. They've seen it in action. They've seen it in action where Jesus speaks, they get caught up, and they get proven, oh, we're stuck. We don't know how to respond to that. And so the religious here want to kind of stay religious and safe. But Jesus catches what they're saying, and then Jesus comes right at them. He comes right at the religious leaders, and we might not see it here so much as an attack, but this is a direct attack, as pinpoint and sharp as it can come. Notice what he says now to the religious leaders, verse 13. Jesus says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. In other words, Jesus is quoting to them Old Testament prophets. Now, he's quoting this to religious leaders who what? Study Old Testament prophets. These Old Testament prophets had brought down wrath, had brought down the anger of God at different times. And now these prophets, Jesus is quoting what? Against the one who studies these prophets. These religious leaders would have known these words well. They would have known that the prophet Isaiah specifically said at different times and recorded in Isaiah chapter 58 about how your festivals and how your celebrations are worthless in the sight of God. The religious leaders would have known from Hosea chapter 6 where Jesus is directly quoting from that God desires loving kindness and compassion, not sacrifice in other festivals. And now Jesus is saying this about what? Them. He's saying this to the religious leaders. Everybody here probably for the most part this morning, when Jesus says this, this should cause all of us to stop in our tracks. Exactly, just instantaneously stop in our tracks when Jesus gives this harsh word to religious people. Why? Because you and I are religious. You and I are some of the most religious people in the whole world. We'd be considered one percenters when it comes to religion. And that, that's not a bad thing. But we've got to recognize that Jesus' harshest words were for the religious people. It's who he's the hardest on. And he comes to them now and says, hey, you know what? I don't accept anything that you got going on here. He says the religious leaders, all these sacrifices, in other words, what he's saying is all these festivals that you're having, these seven-day festivals where everybody comes to town, you bring your goats and you bring your sheep and you have all these special offerings, God's saying, you know what? I don't care about that at all. It's worthless. Those seven days that you took off from work and you sacrificed and came and held the festival, guess what? It was meaningless. <laughs> As a religious leader who's given their life 
to all of this stuff of setting up the perfect temple, of setting up the perfect system and religious activity. I mean, this is an attack at their very core identity, saying, hey, what you enjoy and what you participate in, it's meaningless. Now, here's where it gets challenging, and catch this very clearly. Who instituted the things that the religious leaders were practicing? God. Catch this, very important. So the religious leaders were what? Doing practices that God had instituted. In the Old Testament, God revealed through his prophets and through Moses all of these different things that they're supposed to set in place and do. It wasn't just some weird guy's idea on the side like, hey, let's set up a cool tent and come in and offer all this blood and stuff. No, that was God's idea. God told them to do that. And now, and now God is saying to the people, this stuff that you're doing, which I told you to do, is worthless. What? Can you imagine how much that would hurt? Why is it worthless? Because they've abandoned the very heart of the one who instituted the practices. So when it says mercy here, when Jesus says, I desire mercy in the Hebrew, when you go back in the Greek, it's either loving kindness or compassion. Jesus is saying here, I desire loving kindness, this covenantal love with you and compassion that exudes out from that. And so when you read the prophets in the Old Testament, what they get really angry about is when God's people are holding all of these festivals, but then not showing any loving kindness or compassion to people who are different. When there's not showing any loving kindness or compassion to the orphan or the widow, to the alien or stranger in their midst. That's when the harshest words come. Why? Because when you're not doing those things, you're neglecting the very heart of the God who instituted those practices. And so you can practice the very things that God ordained and miss the God who ordained them. Did you catch that? You can practice the very things that God ordained and miss the God who ordained them. It's because practices are just that. They're practices. They're in outflow. They're activity. And that activity can be meaningless if there's not heart activity behind it. Appearance is extremely deceiving. Some of you are really excited this morning. Finally, my pastor got a tie on. About time. Right? That's good. Got some reverence going on around here, finally. Now, be very careful, because it can be very deceiving. There's churches filled all throughout our community, all throughout this country and the world, with people finely dressed in absolutely no fear of the living God. And there's people all throughout this country that showed up this morning in flip-flops to worship, and they fear God. They know that if they do not obey, there are consequences. Appearances can be very deceiving. Is there anything wrong with wearing a tie? Absolutely not. Actually, it feels pretty good. It's good. Is there anything wrong with not wearing a tie? Absolutely not. That's just fine as well. But there's something wrong with getting excited in either direction. Because we're getting excited about activity rather than the heart behind the activity. 
this morning, Jesus is calling out and reminding us and asking us, are you just going through the motions? Are you just going through the motions? That's question number one for us to reflect on this next week. Am I just going through the motions? Now be careful. I know what you're saying. Oh, come on, pastor. Settle down a little bit. It's important that we go through these motions and these traditions that we've put in place. Absolutely. Haven't said anything negative about a tradition this morning at all. However, traditions are extremely dangerous because they can give the appearance of righteousness and religiosity when you don't have it. Remember, Jesus' harshest words were for those who were the most faithful with their traditions. So am I just going through the motions? Let me encourage you this morning, though. I think it would be helpful for some of you to actually develop some traditions. Because traditions can be healthy. Traditions can remind us of things. In the midst of society where everybody's going every direction, we need something to come back and remind us of what's true and what's good. So there's nothing wrong with traditions. Yesterday, I was at a Catholic wedding yesterday, and Catholic weddings, to be very frank, are not my thing. I disagree with a lot that's going on. But at the same exact moment, they're going through all this rigmarole of different things. There's some extremely powerful traditions. For example, the reverence that they show for the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Of remembering that in part. That's, that's huge. That's good. And also, when the priest comes forward, it was after the wedding yesterday, and somebody's asking, like, why was he doing all that stuff in the back there before he turned around? He said, remind them, well, they believe this about the presence of God, and they believe this about coming onto the altar. All of that stuff is really symbolic of a greater reality behind it. And when you keep the greater reality along with the symbol, then it's a good thing. But if you just have the symbol, it becomes very dangerous really quick. But some of us, it may be helpful to have some traditions, things that would keep us grounded and reminded. And so here's what I'd ask you to think about when it comes to your tradition. Can you answer the why? Can you answer the why? Why do you do this? Or why do you want to do this? And if it's like, I've always done it that way. We grew up that way. Well, that's a, I'm sorry, that's horrible thinking. There's a lot of bad stuff that can be done because of that. Do you know the why? So for example, and I don't mean to make a deal out of this today, but we just dedicated a child today. Guess what? That's a tradition. That's a practice. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, Dedicate your child, okay? That's a tradition that was instituted by human beings. There's nothing wrong about it at all. It's a good thing to stand up and to ask a group of people, hey, we want you to come around us. We want to make it publicly known that we want our child to be raised in a Christian home. That's a great thing. It's a tradition. The moment that you do it, and you're like, hey, good to go. Oh, yeah, good to go. Okay. You've missed the whole point of what it represents. So, am I going through the motions? And here, when Jesus is kind of focusing and challenging us on going through the motions, what he's really getting at is he's getting at his call. 
The reason that he's saying, I desire steadfast love and mercy is because what he's calling people to is he's calling people to a life of following him. Look with me in Matthew 9. What does Jesus say to Matthew? He says, follow me. Now, we see these words in the Bible and we go, well, yeah, Jesus is physically present there. It makes sense for the guy to get up and literally follow Jesus. That's not for us today. Okay, no, 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 no. Jesus' call to be a follower of Christ is just as real for you and I today as it was for Matthew sitting in that tax collector booth. If it's not as real, then what we're doing is this. We're just taking what we want from Jesus and holding on to a little something to try and give us hope from generation to generation. I want to show you, though, this isn't just my thought that it's for us. Look with me in Matthew 28. Matthew 28. We've looked at these verses, I don't know how many times, as a church. Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus saying to his disciples, so Matthew would have been there, one of the 12, one of the 11 at this point. He says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Disciple is another word for follower or a word for learner. You could situate disciple into Matthew 9, where Jesus says, Follow me. Jesus could have said, Come and be my disciple. Disciple was not a one-generation activity. It was meant for every generation in every nation for all time until Jesus returns. And so the call to you today is to be a follower of Jesus Christ in the same way that Matthew was. Well, how do I follow someone who's not here? You know how to do that really well. We do it all the time in our lives. We have people that we look up to that are not present with us, and what do they do? They inform and shape our thinking and our acting. And we actually never meet the people or they're not present with us at this time. So we can be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ even though Jesus is not fully present with us. The best way to think of it is this. A follower is an apprentice. Everybody kind of knows what an apprentice is. It's a person who gets trained by someone who knows what they're doing and what. You're supposed to be able to what? Replicate what that person is doing. That's what a disciple of Jesus was. They were following their rabbi, Jesus, learning everything and then trying to put it into practice. Today, you and I are called to be apprentices of Jesus Christ. Think of it this way. You and I are called to have our lives revolve around Jesus. Everything in our life is supposed to revolve around Jesus. When I had kids, everything changed. Like, before we had kids, everything revolved around me and our household. It worked really, really well. Had kids, everything changed. On Christmas Eve, when before we had kids, this is going to sound horrible as your pastor. On Christmas Eve, our tradition was this. We watched Die Hard. A great Christmas movie. We got kids and all of a sudden what? I can't watch Die Hard anymore on Christmas Eve. Before kids came along, when I make breakfast in the morning, it's kind of, I usually like to get some smoke going through the house. Burn the bacon, burn the sausage, however that goes. So before kids came along, it's like, ah, that's fine. I can go to work smelling like bacon. This week, I make my daughter breakfast. First week in kindergarten, make some sausage, and I think, I think it was a waffle that morning. Go to school, and we're driving to school, and she says to me, Daddy, I smell like a sausage. <laughs> well, who cares? But everything's different now. I got to think in advance now, because everything revolves around them, Right? So I can't watch the same thing I want to watch on Christmas Eve. I can't cook breakfast the same way that I want to cook breakfast. Money doesn't get spent the same way. Everything's revolved around what? Your children. And here's the really weirdness of it all. Is That sounds horrible, doesn't it? 
I lost Die Hard, and I lost smoke from bacon in the kitchen. But guess what? It's worth it. And I'd give it multiple times, over and over again. And everyone in this room who has children would do the exact same thing. Because you know the value of saying, I'm going to let everything revolve around you. How much more the value of Jesus Christ, the creator and the king of the universe, having everything in our lives revolve around him. Where it may seem like, wow, i got to give up this? Oh, it's worth it. It's worth every sacrifice and more. So today, are you an apprentice? Or the best way to think about it is this. Our second question this week is this. Is my life marinated in Jesus? Is my life marinated in Jesus? You know what it means to marinate something, right? The marinade touches everything. It, the whole, it flavors the whole meal. Jesus, as a follower and apprentice, what? He's supposed to flavor our whole life. How I handle my taxes, he's supposed to flavor. How I interact with my in-laws, he's supposed to flavor. The person of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus affects my whole life. Am I, is my life marinated in Jesus? Question number one, am I going through the motions? Question number two, is my life marinated in Jesus? And that leads us to what Jesus is all about. So what is, what's going on here in Matthew chapter 9? What's going on here is Jesus is getting after the religious leaders because the religious leaders don't care about what Jesus cares about. They don't have an authentic relationship with God. Their life is not marinated in Jesus. But also at the exact same time, they're missing the whole point that Jesus is in the business of people. And so Jesus says to them in Matthew 9, he says, hey, 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 those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. In other words, Jesus is saying, hey, religious folk, you can argue all you want over there about that. But guess what? The real business is over here where people need God. Why did Jesus come? Jesus came to bring God, to bring a living relationship possible with God to people, all people. Now, this is important to catch. When Jesus is in trouble here for spending time with sinners, this is not a one-shot deal. It's not like Jesus was like, hey, uh, disciples, could we set up a little PR stunt where I could get some photos with kind of the outcasts and people that aren't by the church? And so the disciples were like, yeah, let's set up a one-time event where you can kind of be seen doing that. No, 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 no. This was not a one-time event. Do you know who Jesus dines with consistently and continually? The outcast. The tax collector the one who's far from God. This isn't a one-time event. This is every day for three years. What put Jesus on the cross? What put Jesus on the cross was this. Because the religious leader's like, what's going on here? You got this Messiah, this king, who's what? Spent all the time, we got to get rid of him. So they what? They rallied up some political support with Rome to get rid of this troublemaker, Jesus. Jesus didn't go to the cross because he was caught one time with sinners. Jesus went to the cross because he came 365 for sinners. So how about you and I who call on the name of Jesus Christ? What do we care about? 
Do we care about people who are far from God? Or do we care about our practices that give us the appearance of religiosity and righteousness? Jesus is in the people business. So question number three. Am I concerned about people who do not know God? Am I concerned about people who do not know God? It's impossible to be a follower of Jesus Christ and not be concerned about people who do not know God. Impossible. Because if you have the DNA of Jesus Christ at all, you've got a heart that says, I want more people to know God. Are you concerned about people who do not know God? Let's get really personal for a moment. Can you put three people right now down on the bulletin that you're praying for that do not know God and you're making intentional efforts to tell them the good news of Jesus Christ? This is at the heart of Jesus. We can't say we're about Jesus if we're not about what Jesus is about. Jesus is in the business of reaching people. Now, I hope you're catching on to something here. You should see a little twofold approach going here. The second question was what? Am I marinating my life in Jesus Christ? In other words, am I coming alongside underneath the teachings of Jesus? Jesus wants us to be growing, to be developing ourselves, becoming more mature in our understanding of Jesus Christ. It's about spiritual growth. It is. Jesus wants that. He wants us to understand his commandments. At the exact same time, and they're not in opposition to one another, at the exact same time, he wants us what? Telling others about himself. It's not enough to simply grow in knowledge of Jesus and not tell others about Jesus. Actually, not telling others about Jesus is a reflection that you're not growing in Jesus. If we're just snipe hunting, we're not going to care about those who are lost. But if we're pursuing the heart of God, we're going to care about people who do not know God. So this morning, I'm asking that Jesus would enliven our hearts. He'd reawaken us to what he wants for our lives. What does he want? He wants us to be his apprentice. He wants us to care for people who do not know God. Those two things, you could summarize it by saying, knowing God and making God known. That's it. Knowing God and making God known. That's what God wants for your life today. These three questions are meant to help us think about that. Question one, am I going through the motions? Question two, is my life marinated in Jesus? And question three, am I concerned about people who do not know God? Who is this person who can walk up and say to someone else, leave everything and come follow me? That's bold. That's bold to say, hey, forget your family. Forget your neighbors. Come and follow me. Who is this person who can demand everything from us? This person is the king of the universe who has existed for eternity. Jesus did not come into existence when he came to earth. He came to earth from somewhere else, heaven. 
And the reason that Jesus Christ is so concerned about people who do not know God is that Jesus Christ is well aware of what's at stake. He's well acquainted with heaven and hell. Jesus knows eternity. And that's when he comes. That's why when he comes, he's so concerned about connecting with people who do not know God because he knows what's at stake, eternity. And so today, am I going to be serious about eternity? I'm serious about eternity when I'm serious about the one who calls Jesus Christ, for he is eternal. I'm serious about eternity when I'm serious about the souls of other people. And so today, would you join with me in taking six days, six days, and just reflecting on these three questions? These three questions aren't in the Bible. These three questions are just things that I think God placed on my heart this morning to help us reflect upon what Jesus wants and is what is teaching us. So would you take the next six days and reflect on these three questions and just ask that God would reorient your heart to be along his heart. Am I just going through the motions? Is my life marinated in Jesus? Am I concerned about people who do not know God? These three questions are worth consideration, not because I gave them to you, but because of the one who they represent, Jesus Christ. These three questions are worth consideration because the king of the universe came on this earth and went to the cross on your behalf to give his life so that you could have life. These three questions are worth your consideration because the king of the universe went into the grave and descended into hell for your sake so that you would not have to descend into hell. These three questions are worth your consideration because Jesus Christ is worth everything we have. So let it be said of us that our lives were marinated in Jesus. Let it be said of us that we were concerned about people who did not know God. Let us pray. Gracious Creator, we come before you this morning, people who we, we know, God, it's a tendency of my own heart this morning to just go through the motions. So God, just reignite our hearts today with new passion, reignite our hearts with a desire, and show us, Lord, where there's hypocrisy and establish traditions in our lives that can be healthy, God, that can help us live out your teachings, that can help us be serious. So, Lord, I do pray that you would put traditions in our church, put traditions in our individual lives that can help us. Lord, I also pray now that Jesus would marinate in our whole life. Lord, I pray that you'd help each of us reflect the character and the teaching and the desire, the purpose of Jesus in all of life. And Lord, this morning... We ask that you'd put people in our lives who don't know you. God, that you'd put us in people's lives who do not know you. Break our hearts, God, for eternity and give us opportunity to speak. So, God, we ask that you'd make this happen. Use these next six days to prepare us for a fall season, Lord, where we can grow in our knowledge and that we can grow in our desire to reach people. So bless each person that's here, Lord, with the presence of your Holy Spirit. Ignite our hearts for you and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.